Will you please say the chalice lighting words with me? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. Come. Let us scooch a little closer and feel the presence of the people around us. Let us remember that, yes, we could be all somewhere else with another cup of coffee, but instead we are here. And here we will look into each other's eyes and see that divine spark wrapped up in the madness of our bodies. And here we will listen to one another's words and hear the fullness of our minds and hearts. And here we will simply be together holding and being held in sorrow and celebration. Welcome. Come, let us worship. We have a mission in this congregation. What is it? At First Unitarian Universalist in Austin, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives and do justice, may it be so. Every month, we have a second offering that we give away 100% to uh, an organization that you all voted on and chose, and the voting for those will be today at the congregational pre-meeting. Linda is going to tell us about the North Central Caregivers. I'm Linda Buhlman and have been a member of this church for four years. During this time, I have also been a member and a volunteer. Okay. A volunteer for North Central Austin Caregivers and ask that you give generously to this nonprofit volunteer run organization. Before I tell you a little bit about North Central Austin Caregivers, I would like to have you answer the following questions in your own mind. What would you do if you could no longer drive your own car? How would you get to the doctor, grocery store, bank, pharmacy, or even the beauty shop? This situation is a reality for many of our older neighbors who are no longer able to drive their own cars to get where they need to go. And this is going to be a reality for all of us if we live long enough. It is estimated that today people are living 7 to 10 years longer than they are able to safely drive. So what can we do to make sure that seniors remain independent in their own homes and can get out and about in the community? North Central Austin Caregivers is one solution, but they need our help. They have been right here in North Central Austin since 1989 helping older adults maintain their independence. First UU has been right here the whole time, since the beginning. Many of us in this church already volunteer to drive seniors, visit homebound seniors, or work in the office. 
They also are what they call care ringers because some people just like to have people call and make sure they're okay or just talk, friendly chat. Because they use all volunteers, their services are always free. And people 60 and older qualify, and they are interviewed by uh, one of the two staff members and uh, are then put on the list and uh, call off and on, maybe not for um, two years, and then they may need us again. Um, so it's, it's a very flexible type of organization. They depend on our supporting churches, and I don't know if you know, but there are 16 churches in this area of Austin that help support this organization. Also, volunteers are desperately needed, just like in other organizations. I volunteer every Friday morning. My job is to match client needs with volunteer availabilities. I spend all my morning talking on the phone and frequently call, these are my first ones, Nancy Bonet, Tom Thompson, Dan Wilson, Dacine Willem, Jerry Perkins, Karen Franks, just to name a few, and I'm sure they sound familiar because they're members of our church. They always know I'll be calling. My hours spent with North Central Austin caregivers came about because of this very special lady sitting in beautifully adorned teal, sitting in the front row today. I, when, on one of my first times here, even before I was a member, I saw this sprightly gray-haired lady walking from her car into the church, always carrying papers. And um, one day I said, could I ask you, you know, why you carry all these things and uh, what, is, what is it that you are all about with respect to volunteering? Well, immediately, she was in her selling point of, oh, we need volunteers, could you help? We're very flexible, maybe just one day a week, one day a month, one day every two months. She's quite a salesman. We were partners, Marilyn on one desk and myself on the other, and then Marilyn decided to step down as an office volunteer. However, she still remains on the board and is our greatest supporter in all sorts of ways. Marilyn will be sitting at the table today that we have in the gallery. I hope you'll stop by and express your appreciation to one of our own. Thank you, Marilyn. Will you please stand? I'm going to talk about preparing for hard times this morning. How do you do it? If there really hasn't been any rain in a while and your spirit is cracking and it's dry and the wind is blowing and nothing good is coming down the pike, what do you do? Well, literally, in that case, it would have been good if you had already dug a good deep well. And you could let the bucket down and bring up something that would do you some good. 
In September, we had a water ceremony where people brought water from a place that fed their soul. And we added the water together into common bowls and um, told of the places that fed our soul. Water is so necessary. And there's a spiritual equivalent of water that I'm going to talk about today. And um, in, the, the, uh, in Don Juan... Lord Byron writes, if until taught by pain, we really know not what good water is worth. I'm going to talk about the things that sustain us during the dry times in our lives, and we don't really know what those things are worth until our spirit gets weary. We are fed in our lives by connections with other human beings, by music, by literature, by nature, by our animal companions. This place is here partly so that we cannot, we don't come to get our souls nourished, although we do. We come to nourish one another's souls. We come to get our lives transformed. Yes, we come to transform other people's lives as well. We come to do justice on the outside. We come to do justice on the inside of these walls. We come for ourselves and we come for each other. How do we dig a good deep well before the dry times come? Emotionally, metaphorically, spiritually. How do we do that? Well, feeling loved is important and you can't kind of exist as just an individual, hearty, self-reliance, until you need somebody, and then you can't quick rustle up some friends. I've seen people try it. It doesn't work. There was a rabbi who uh, had a lot of disciples, and uh, the rabbi was going through a hard time. And the disciples... um, One of the disciples in particular came up to him and said, Rabbi, I love you. I, you've taught me so much, you have shined your face on me, you've taught me to meditate, you've taught me how to, how to grow my character, you, you, I love you, I just love you. And the rabbi looked at him and said, if you loved me, you would know what hurts me. The disciple had no idea, the rabbi had always been strong for him. Sometimes we show each other our strong faces, but there have to be a few people that we can show each other our, the chinks in our armor. There have to be a few people. You can come to a church for a while, and it's fun, it's nice, but until you find a few people who know what hurts you, who know what delights you, who know what you worry about, you haven't made a strong enough connection to get you through the hard times. Most of you find a way to do that in this congregation, but one of the ways of doing it is by joining one of the small group circles that you guys started long before I got here, but we're making more of them, and 
Um, I want to tell you a little bit about the chalice circles. We call them chalice circles because chalice is uh, the symbol of our faith, and circles is, you know, a small group of people, or the way you put the chairs together in the room when you meet so everybody can see everybody else. It's kind of literal that way. It's four to 12 people. Because any more than 12 people, uh, the introverts get kind of overwhelmed, even with 12. It's hard to have a conversation with that many people at the same time, which is why we don't really do that in chalice circles. In chalice circles, the way that I've experienced it, you talk about things like, what is an example of grace in your life? What does that look like to you? When have you experienced a heartfelt truth and how did it change your life? What about your daily work do you find nourishing? What is the meaning of life? Why do we need religion? Why is there evil? How do we know what we know? How can we face death? Why do we suffer? What does it mean to be human? Those sound like interesting questions to me. The lessons are structured, so you guys probably won't like it. Um... They're structured in that you check in. Uh, there, are, you just have like two words or three words that you say that when you're checking in around the circle, and then you uh, light a chalice, and then you have these readings from a from a bowl. Your facilitator has has found readings about the topic that you're talking about, and so you read around the the um, the bowl. And, uh, as I said, they have to do with the topic of that lesson, whether it's forgiveness or failure, hope, patriotism, views of God. I wrote a whole curriculum on, not a whole curriculum, a lesson on hands one time. So I found readings about hands for my folks. It was fun. It was uh, very evocative. The lesson that I wrote about failure, I got a call right before the chalice circles were starting to meet, because in that church, everybody did the same lesson. I'm not sure whether you'll do that at this church, but the, the, the leaders of the circles got together and called me <laughs> and said, we, failure, that's depressing. We don't want to do that. Um, they ended up doing it because I told them they could do whatever they wanted to. So they ended up doing it. They said it was interesting, stimulating, inspiring. So after you read the um, questions, then there are some then there are, after you read the reading, excuse me, there are some questions that the um, person who wrote the lesson asks you. And so you get to pick a couple of the questions that are about the topic, and you get to talk about it. Each person gets to talk about it if you want to. And here's the part that you're not going to like. Um, it's, it's a no-cross-talk time. So you... Here's the thing about talking. Almost nobody ever gets listened to. Have you noticed that? Almost nobody. You'll say something like, oh, I'm really worried about my grandchild, or I'm really worried about my mom. And the other person will go, yeah, I was worried about my mom too. Instantly. You're talking about them suddenly. It's okay. It's human. But it's so beautiful. So, such a relief, such a gift to have people make eye contact with you and listen to you all the way through without interrupting and without saying, yeah, I remember when in my life, 
That's called crosstalk, and you don't do it. What you say, if you have a strong facilitator, which you all will, what you say after someone's finished talking is, thank you. And then the next person talks. And you practice. You practice talking to one another. You practice listening to one another. You practice, if you're a talker, you practice not going on for 20 minutes. You practice being a team player so that the whole group can get to talk. And then, after everybody's finished, you sit in silence for a little while together, just breathing together. Then comes the discussion time. But you'll be amazed at what uh, two or three minutes of silence will do to that buzzing monkey chatter in your mind. Where you felt like you just had to tell the person who was worried about their child the time that you were worried about your child. In the three minutes of silence, suddenly that fades. And you don't have to say it so much anymore. You can actually discuss with them, with them and have conversations with them, which means that you say something to them about what they said to you, and then they say something to you, which has to do with what you just said to them. Does that make sense? I want you to listen this week and see how very rare that kind of conversation is. How very rare. Each group makes a covenant about the kind of behavior they want to exhibit with one another. Uh, examples of a covenant would be, I want to I show up on time, I want to come to this circle unless I'm, you know, like bleeding out in the emergency room. I want to, um, and then they'll probably come there and meet <laughs> with you. I, I want to not interrupt other people, or we maybe we'll have a covenant where we can interrupt one another because not interrupting feels stiff to these particular people in the discussion time, not in the no crosstalk time. And then you have a covenant of, with the congregation in your covenant circle, and that covenant just says, we're going to do some service to the congregation and some service to the community. So each chalice circle has a covenant of how it wants to be, uh, uh, does some service to the congregation, and it does some service outside. And the, the service is a bonding experience. At one covenant circle or chalice circle in one church that decided they were going to work um, on the church library because they didn't have someone like Stephanie like we do and Andy. Um, but they didn't, they didn't do it together. Each person just kind of went in and hung out in the library alone, which is not a bonding experience. My office was painted by the Women in Transition Covenant group here at this church, and I'm hoping that was a bonding experience for them. I feel bonded to them every time I look at the colors on the wall. And I like them very much, so I appreciate what they did. But that's the kind of thing. Or one covenant circle said, after our meetings, we're going to clean up the kitchen. Now, this kitchen is, of course, spotless, um, so there would be nothing to do in there. But um, just something like that, that a covenant circle might do together to bond. When the discussion is done... There's a check-out time. Checking out. My favorite check-out time question is, 
how would you like us to hold you in mind until we meet again? I think that the way that we hold one another in mind is very shaping of how a person is. You know how in your family, if you were always the smart one, or if you were always the pretty one, or if you were always the naughty one, the way they hold you in mind shapes everything about their interaction with you. You know, if you were the non-athletic one and suddenly you take up running, um, you tell your family, I'm taking up running, they go, (laughs) yeah. It's distressing. So if you say to your chalice circle, I would like to, I would like for you to hold me in mind until we see each other again as an athletic person. And they go, okay, we're going to say that Dave, he's an athletic person. And it feels good to have that coming at you from people. Or you can say, um, you know, that Rhonda, she's a patient person. I want you to hold me in mind as patient right now. (laughs) I need it bad. Make me patient. So how would you like us to hold you in mind? I think is a powerful check-out question. Some of the groups that are formed will be long-lived and strong. Others will fizzle and putter out. We don't know why. It's okay. doesn't mean you did anything wrong. In traditional chalice circle practice, you always have an empty chair in the circle. It's not for Elijah. The empty chair is to be a visible and tangible reminder that other people will join your circle. It's to keep the circles from becoming cliquish. Other people are going to join. We're going to make room for other people. When the chalice circle coordinator, Lisa, says, I got two more people for your circle, the appropriate response is, okay, good. We're going to open the circle for two more people, not, uh. We were just feeling like just us. The clubbiness was so nice. This is a congregational ministry, not just to the people who are already in the circle, but the people who are going to come into the circle, symbolized by the empty chair. See, in the UU tradition, Unitarian Universalist, we believe in ongoing revelation, and that means that the universe, the divine God, is still, has still things to uh, show us. We've still got stuff to learn. Ongoing revelation means I don't just study Abraham's life. I don't just study Mary's life. I don't just study Krishna's life. I study my life and I study your life. We are sacred texts. Our lives are sacred texts. And so when we tell one another over the course of a year in our child circle what is going on with us, when we when we talk about an experience of a heartfelt truth in our life, or when we talk about a time when we suddenly realized our parents were getting fragile, or we suddenly, uh, we talk about uh, our our baby's hands, then we, we are showing the sacred text of our life to one another. Here is what one person wrote about chalice circle type talk. This is a reading from the lesson on listening. 
I like to talk with you. I like the way I feel when you're listening as if we were exploring something in ourselves. The plunge into a silence and how you come up with words I tried to find. The otherness about us which makes conversation possible. When I talk with you, the give turns into take and borrow into lend. Now and then a phrase from you will kindle like a shooting star. The mornings in you rouse me from a sleep. I like the babble and the banter when I greet you at the door, when the room is filled with guests, your quiet look as if there were a secret between us of which nobody knows. From a poet named Raymond Baum. So, if you care to have kinds of conversations up, uh, that are at a deeper level than you can have on a Sunday morning, unless you're really good in coffee hour, um, the kinds of questions that are not therapy deep, but they're kind of in the middle between surface kindness and therapy deep, in the middle there is where the chalice circle conversations are. And so I, um, I invite you, although I'm sure you d don't want to, to um, sign up for one in the gallery after church, just if you care to think about it. And now let there be an offering taken to sustain and strengthen this place where we are fed, where we are challenged where we search, we serve, we nourish one another. We see lives transformed. Our characters are deepened. We learn to love. If you are a first-time visitor with us, please be our guest and let the plate pass you by. If you have visited before or if you're a member, please give generously. And now... Please say our chalice extinguishing words with me. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. And now go in peace, be blessed and be a blessing, surround one another with caring as far as you are able. Make sure to notice the caring that is coming your way. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.com dot o r g